Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. All right, uh, we are starting a new winter teaching series this morning, and I was recalling in our team meeting this morning that when we started our fall series, Stuffed, do you remember the Stuffed campaign? We started it the Sunday of Hurricane Fiona. So I don't know if we're, we have a little trend here. We kick off a new series and it starts on a storm Sunday, but uh, here's where we're at. We're digging into the Gospel of John. And as we go through the Gospel of John, we're going to point out three cores to our humanity, three core values. They tie in with our core values uh, here with Faith Baptist. Everyone needs a place to belong, a truth to believe, and the courage to become. And it ties in with our core values, truth, community, and engagement. So as we dig through the Gospel of John this winter, over the next 10 weeks, we're going to dig into those three themes. And spoiler alert, it's all found in Jesus. Jesus fulfills and satisfies every longing at the core of our being. He satisfies our soul. So that's, that's the main point today. Um, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about Jesus. So let's jump into verse 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1, and it's all about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Who are we referencing? Jesus. The Word is a title for Jesus Christ. So in this initial verse, when it says the Word, we can think of Jesus, the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Best place to start is always at the beginning, isn't it? Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning, Jesus. When you go back to the beginning, who do you find? You find God. You find Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word. Truth. The Word of God. He's God's message to humanity. He's the truth to believe. Jesus is with God. The word was with God. That's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in a triune God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is with God. Perfect unity, perfect togetherness, never to be separated. That's perfect community, isn't it? That's the perfect belonging. Jesus is God. The word was God. You can't get around that. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. You cannot say, separate God from his word. You cannot separate Jesus from God. Jesus is God's word of hope to the world, and that's where we find the courage to become something more than ourselves, to engage in the mission. Look at verse 2. Verses 2 to 5. Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Isn't that an incredible truth? The darkness will not overcome the light. No matter how thick the ice gets on your windshield, it will never overcome the light. This is John's introduction to his gospel account. It's all about Jesus. He is eternal. He's the word. He's God. He's creator. He's sustainer. He's preeminent. He is life. He's the light of men. Your greatest need is Jesus. Your greatest need has always been and will always be Jesus. 
Belonging to him, believing in him, becoming like him. As Jesus' followers, this is the desire of our hearts. This is the longing of our lives. Let me save you some time and a lot of frustration in life if you haven't already been through a lot so far to this point in life. You will never find anything that satisfies the longings of your soul like Jesus does. You will never find a deeper sense of belonging than when you receive Jesus' invitation to come. You're never going to find a more solid truth to believe in than the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again to give you new life. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, a sure and firm foundation. You won't find a deeper sense of purpose or mission to spend your life on, becoming like Jesus, teaching others about Jesus, sharing the gospel, these This is what we want to spend our life doing. In fact, let me introduce you to a man who did just that. He spent his life telling other people about Jesus. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now here's a little clarification just to avoid any confusion. The book is called John, the Gospel of John. The character we're referencing is John, the Baptist. These these are two separate individuals. John, the author, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record his account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, he's one of Jesus' disciples, one of the sons of Zebedee, right? Fishermen, James and John. He's possibly, probably, one of the youngest disciples. He's the one who sat next to Jesus at the Lord's table, the Last Supper in the upper room. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We're not talking about him here. We're talking about the man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. Do you remember week one of our Christmas series, Angels We Have Heard? Do you? (laughs) We talked about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And in their old age, through the power of God, they conceived John the Baptist. And when Mary comes in her pregnancy, to visit Elizabeth in her pregnancy. When they meet up, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy and she breaks out in song. Well, that baby is John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. And that's who we're talking about. John's calling was to be like a prophet, a forerunner, a herald, going before Jesus and proclaiming the coming Messiah. The king is here. Make a straight path for the Lord. John's duty was to prepare people for the coming Lord, to bear witness about the light that all would believe. Not unlike our duty and purpose as Christians, as Jesus followers. Look at verse 9. The true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but get this part. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Can we just hang out here for a moment? Jesus, the creator of the universe, the son of God, light and life of the world, God in the flesh, Jesus, wasn't recognized by the people who came to save. The creation didn't recognize the creator. His own people didn't receive him. Think of the Christmas story. There's no room for Jesus in the inn. 
One of his own disciples betrays him. Jesus was a Jew, and it was the Jewish religious leaders who were trying to accuse him, arrest him, kill him. In his hometown, he had no honor. His own people didn't receive him. How does it make you feel when no one recognizes you? When no one welcomes you? When no one speaks to you? When no one knows your name? You ever experienced that? Maybe you're introverted and you'd say, you know, I'd rather be in the shadows. I'rather people not point me out. But all of us have been in a space and a place where nobody knows us. We're the stranger in the room. How does that feel? That happens in local churches all the time. Somebody new walks in, a visitor, the Christmas season. Do you feel welcome? Do you feel? Recognize? Do you feel invited in? Do you feel valued? When somebody remembers your name, isn't that huge? Oh, hey, Josh, you're back. Wow. You took enough time to catch my name the first time, but then remember it in case I showed up the second time. That means something to me. I feel known. I feel heard. I feel seen. That's huge when somebody remembers your name, when somebody knows you, when somebody welcomes you. And the opposite is true. Yet Jesus came into the world he created, the world he was to die for, and they didn't know him. His own people rejected him. Rejection's a terrible feeling. We want to be accepted. We long to be accepted. People go at, to great and crazy lengths to be accepted, don't they? Doing things you would never do otherwise, just so a group of people would accept you. It means so much to our souls to be accepted, to be noticed, to be remembered, but Jesus shows us a different way, a different source of belonging. Look at verse 12. This is the verse that was at the end of the video. But to all who did receive him, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't it incredible that in order to save us, Jesus had to become one of us? That in order to save us, Jesus had to put on flesh and blood, become human, experience life as we experience life, work a carpentry job in a small fishing village, not totally unlike Great Village, and experience all the life that we've experienced so that he could die in our place to save us from our sins and to secure our right to belong in the family of God, to be adopted by God the Father. And then our identity becomes the fact that we belong to God. We're a child of God. We are known by God. We are accepted and received by God. That's the deepest and truest sense of belonging that there ever is. The sinless Son of God is willing and able to stand in our place. Belonging. In our Be a Good Human campaign, do you remember that over a year ago? Like a year and a half ago, maybe now? We talked about identity and how it's not so much who you are, but whose you are who you belong to. And the deepest and truest sense of belonging that there ever will be or ever has been is to belong to your creator as his child, to be able to cry out, Abba, Father, that God would be your father, you would be his child. 
Look at verse 16. From his fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, there's so much theology packed into these verses. I hope that you can appreciate that, and we can't dig through all of it, but there's so much beauty in the fact that Jesus is God, but he's also God's son. And part of Jesus' duty is to reveal the Father. You want to know what God is like? You can look at Jesus. Jesus shows us the Father. The law of Moses back in the Old Testament, it's truth. It's rock-solid truth. You want to live by the Ten Commandments? Praise God. Those are still God's Ten Commandments. The Old Covenant, the Old System, the Old Testament, there is so much truth packed in there. But it's hard truth. The duty of the law, as it says in Romans and Galatians, is to point out our sin. You look at the law, and you're face-to-face in a mirror of your own life and all the ways that we fall short, Romans 3.23. But through Jesus, we have grace and truth. Jesus fulfilled the law. He put on flesh, he became one of us, he experienced life, but never broke the law, never sinned, a perfect life. And therefore, he could be our perfect vicarious sacrifice in our place to take our sins to the cross because he had no sin of his own to take to the cross. And therefore, Jesus can stand in our place in the judgment before God the Father and we can in turn take his righteousness. His blood cleanses us from sin and we are invited in. Part of Jesus' earthly ministry is to reveal the Father to us. And if we really want to know what the Father looks like, we look to Jesus. It's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know God, right? It's one thing to know about gravity. It's another thing to know gravity. It's one thing to know that your airbag is going to go off if you go into the ditch. It's another thing to know what that feels like. We're not talking about some academic textbook knowledge so that you can fill in the blank on the test. We're talking about an intimate relational knowledge of what God our Father is like in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. This goes beyond just a truth to understand. It's something that we can believe. It's something that we can put our faith and our trust and our hope in. What we think about Jesus shapes the way that we think about ourselves, the way we see ourselves. Look look at how John the Baptist describes himself. Look at verse 19. This is a funny interaction here. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? That was the big question in that sermon bumper video there. Who are you? Have you really taken some time to sit down and think through who am I? It's a basic question, but it's, it's more difficult than you might think. Verse 20, he confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. 
can I suggest to you just kind of sidebar commercial break? What people say about you is far less important than what God has to say about you in his word. The identity that other people place on you has no bearing on the identity that belonging to God gives you. Do you know your purpose? Do you know why you're here? Do you know what it is you've been put on this earth to do? John knew. His mission was clear. For this purpose, to bear witness, to tell a dying world of sin that there's a better way and his name is Jesus and he's coming. The courage to become. What is it God will call you to this year? How is it that you will share God's love, his message of hope in Jesus? What do you need courage to become? Something greater than yourself, a mission to engage in. John 1 ends with a few examples of people who had the courage to take the first step and shift their journey for the rest of time and eternity. A new beginning to change the trajectory of their lives, their purpose. Look at verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Those are Jesus' first four words as recorded in John's gospel. Think about that for a moment. The first thing that John records Jesus saying in his gospel is, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, here's Jesus' next five words in the book, come and you will see. Isn't that good? Isn't that Jesus' invitation to all of us? Whatever it is that we're seeking, what are you seeking? Come, come to me and you will see. You want to find rest for your weary souls? Come to Jesus. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother. Get this, I love this. He finds Jesus, sees where he's staying, and then the first thing he does, I've got to go tell my brother. He first finds his own brother, Simon, and says to him, we have found the Messiah. You know what Messiah means? the chosen one, the long-awaited one, the Christ, the one that they were waiting for, who'd been prophesied since Genesis 3.16, 15. We have found the Messiah. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, rock, Petros. Why did they choose to follow Jesus? because there was something different about Jesus. He was the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. 
There was a sense of summation in Jesus' introduction that spoke to the longings of their soul. Swept them up. Everything they'd been searching for, waiting for, it was all found in Jesus, and they were in from that day forward. The Gospels showcase Jesus' ministry, but it also showcases the journey of these young men as they follow Jesus, the highs and lows. We're going to see them find belonging in the community of Jesus' followers. We're going to see them come to believe, realize, question, doubt, understand the truth of who Jesus is. And we're going to see these young common men become the apostles of the early church carrying Jesus' mission to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 43. Here's a few other examples as we close out the chapter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. He found Philip. There's so much gospel in those three words, isn't there? Jesus came looking and found Philip. Seeking and saving the lost. Verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. And he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Look at Nathanael's honesty in verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That little town? Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see for yourself. You know, I I think we complicate evangelism. I think we really complicate conversations about God and the gospel and what Jesus has done for people. Come and see. Come take a look for yourself. You're not sure about Jesus? Well, check it out. Come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What does it mean to you that Jesus knows you? Before you ever come to him, before you you ever respond to his invitation, he already knows you. He's waiting for you to come. Come and see. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Come and see. I want to jump back because as we're going through, I totally miss verses 29 to 31. Can we do that? Verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I knew I was missing a key part in the chapter. I mean, come on. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes one who ranks before me, because he was before me, even though it's his younger cousin. Jesus is God in the flesh. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this 
purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. John knew his purpose. His purpose was to tell a world dying in sin that Jesus was coming. He's the Lamb of God, the Lamb who died in our place, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Come and see. That's my invitation to you today. You know, maybe you're new to this person named Jesus. Maybe like Nathaniel, you've got doubts, like is all the hype about Jesus anything to pay attention to or not? Come and see. Over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John, and then we're into Easter, and we're going to conclude the Gospel of John. I think it's over 14 messages that we're going to go through the majority of the Gospel of John. And our big point in this is to show you that Jesus speaks to the longings of your soul. Belonging, believing, becoming. Jesus answers it all. I would encourage you to come and see Maybe you've been searching for a place to belong, a truth to believe, and the courage to become something more. If you've been walking for Jesus, with Jesus, for a long time, I want to extend the same invitation. John said, behold the Lamb of God. The first disciples said, come and see. Jesus is referenced a few times as the light of the world. The light was the life of men. Light is all about seeing, being able to see, being able to make things visible. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, I would encourage you to take a fresh look. Behold the Lamb of God. Really take a look as we go through this Gospel of John. Who is Jesus to you? These deep needs of your heart are all secured and satisfied in him. Now, as we conclude, I want to invite some members from the band to come up. Andy and Josh are going to help me out here. The end of the message time is always the trickiest time in any service, I find. Because how do you conclude? How do you land the plane? How do you say, okay, have a great day, and we're all going to go chat or eat food or jump in our cars? It's just, it's an awkward transition, I find. We pray, we say amen, walk out, and it's just, it's an odd ending. A lot of the ways in which we pray in evangelical Christianity these days are are spur of the moment, kind of what comes to mind, maybe not a whole lot of forethought. We talk about relational intimacy with Jesus and we just want it to be a natural conversation, but there's a lot to be said about premeditated, pre-thought out and purposeful prayers where we take time to actually think through and pray through the truth that we've been spending time in. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, For this series, at the end of every message time, our hope is to have purposeful prayer about the content we've been teaching through. Another way you could say it is guided meditation. And that's a loaded term these days. I get that. Maybe you think of yoga practices where they're sitting in lotus pose and they're going om. Maybe it's Eastern mysticism. Maybe you think of modern apps like mindfulness and the Calm app where you just kind of sit in silence and listen to a little bit of background music and maybe a few things that you speak over your life. But actually, meditation as a practice has its bearings deep in scripture. 
The term meditation is the Hebrew word daga, and it means to muse, to think about something carefully and thoroughly. It's used over 100 times in the Bible. I've been doing my personal Bible reading this year in the book of Psalms. I just want to dig into a chapter a day. And I've been blown away. The first 10 chapters, there are three references to meditation. In fact, that's how the book of Psalms begins. King David, Psalm 1 and verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But listen to this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Meditation is similar to prayer and worship in that it's the object of your meditation that is so important. Meditating on his word. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So, over the next 10 weeks, at the end of each sermon, we are going to take a careful moment to focus our mind, our heart, and our voice on the scriptures that we just discussed. Does that make sense? All right. Can I encourage you to stand as we do this together? Now, here's how this is going to work. We're going to have some of the specific scriptures that I just preached through up on screen. And I just want to pray through the themes of those scriptures and guide our hearts as we conclude this morning. All right? Thank you, Jesus. You are before time and space. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the word. You are God's message of love. Thank you, Jesus, that you are God. Thank you, Jesus, you are my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you shine light into my darkness. Forgive me, God, for the times that I fail to reflect that light. Forgive me, God, for the times that I don't recognize you at work in my life. Please, God, would you help me to know what it is to be your child? Thank you, Jesus, for your grace that's given to me, your grace and your truth. Thank you for the truth that I believe today. Jesus, thank you for showing me what God the Father is like. I'm sorry, God, for the times that I've made it all about me. Sorry for the times when I failed to point people in your direction. Please, Jesus, would you help me to behold you as my Savior? 
to spend time gazing on your presence. Jesus, would you help me to reveal you as the Savior to the people around me? Thank you, Jesus, for inviting me in. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me a new name, new identity. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for braving the roads and for being here today and for those who participated online. I'm excited to dig through the Gospel of John together and my prayer for this series is that we would just take some time to come and gaze upon Jesus who he is and what he's done for us, how he satisfies the longings of our soul. That's my desire.